This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. Um, in the last podcast, James Manning, the editor of Media Week, threatened to do a bit more publishing podcasts, and I thought we'd keep the um, promise going. So we're here at the Bow Media Office on Park Street in Sydney, and today I have with me the new editor-in-chief of Gourmet Traveller, Sarah Oakes. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. How are you? Good. So you were previous, I was just looking at your history, just, you know, stalking you a little bit on LinkedIn. What haven't you done? You've been at Pac Mags when you started off, uh, Foxtel, K-Zone, Total Girl, then moved to Bow for Girlfriend, and uh, sorry, for Clio, and then Fairfax for Sunday Life and Daily Life. Jesus Christ, you've been all over the workshop, haven't you? Well, I like to think I have progressively got older and based on Gourmet Traveller, definitely more sophisticated as I've gone. So it's been a, quite a lovely progression. I was about to say, as your career, like as as you matured in your career, so have the titles that you've worked on, because legit, you started on, okay, Foxtel, taking that out, you started on children's titles, then got to the teenager, young adult ones, and then, you know, hit the adulthood titles with Sunday Life and Daily Life and now the Gourmet Traveller. But in between, you were in Washington, D.C. What were you doing there? Uh, I took off to DC because my husband got an incredible job there and I went over, I um, was doing a lot of freelance writing, spent most of my time travel, freelance writing. I volunteered on the Hillary Clinton campaign, we all know how that ended, and <laughs> I um, and I had a baby. So it was pretty busy two years. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. It was an interesting time to be there. We kind of got there just as Donald Trump announced, and on the morning he won the election, we decided it was time to come home. So it was a neat little trip to, uh, yeah, America's capital. It had nothing to do with the loss of Hillary Clinton? <laughs> oh, it had everything to do with that, yeah. We just looked at each other that morning and were like, who are these people? Let's go back to Australia. <laughs> And so what was it about Gourmet Traveller that, you know, lured you back to Sydney um, to, and back to magazine land, basically, really? Oh, everything about Gourmet Traveller, I just think it's one of the most beautiful magazines in Australia. It's, you know, it has some incredible writing, the visuals are outstanding, the recipes. It's an incredibly talented team who've been on the magazine for you know, a really long time. It's a really tight team. They do amazing work. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, there has just never been a more exciting time to be working on a food magazine. Food has incredible social currency right now. Um, food and um, the places we travel for food experiences, uh, you know, uh, to what pre, you know, out of this generation, what books and DVDs and musicians were to former generations. It's just a really thrilling time to be in this market and on a brand like this that just has such incredible reach and influence. And in terms of, you know, it's such an old brand last year, it marked 50 years. And then you also took over from um, Anthea Lucas Boscher, who had been, you know, the editor-in-chief of this title for over 10 years. Was that somewhat of a daunting proposition? Yeah, I mean, Anthea has done an absolutely phenomenal job, as have the whole team. And, um, yeah, it's always daunting to step into any new role. Uh, but, you know, I've been made to feel really welcome here. Obviously, I've been at Bell before. There's a lot of familiar faces that uh, are still here. And um, I think the thing is that um, everybody was 
we, as they always are, excited to have a change and try something new. Uh, so, yeah, I felt, I'm feeling pretty at home already, four months in. It's been a while. And in terms of, uh, you know, the return to Bower, was the office set up much different to when you came back or did you know your way around pretty much pretty quick? Well, I believe the level that I was on where uh, poor Cleo, may she rest in peace, um, was positioned is now uh, not a Bower uh, sort of level at all. Someone else works there. But no, the rest of I didn't spend a lot of time here on level one where Gourmet is. Um, you may... You know, you can tell your listeners, you can probably smell that the test kitchen is just here beside us. There's an enormous plate of octopus that just has been brought into our office for us to sample. Um, so, no, I didn't have the pleasure of much spending much time here on Level 1 uh, in my last sort of time at Bow, but it's a good spot to be in. Sorry to keep you from trying that octopus, but um, a couple of... Uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, um, Sarah, you're going to have... A busy week next week, three events coming up, the first one being the restaurant um, uh, awards that, you know, are really well known for Australian Gourmet Traveller on Wednesday night. Then you have a new podcast that you're launching, which is about a 20-minute podcast called Set Menu. And then on Friday morning, again, you have a breakfast with the advertisers. You were telling me earlier that you're doing some sort of a writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you, you missed one of the events that I really want to highlight, which is the Thursday. You can never have too many things uh, going on in one week. Thursday 2 is our on sale of our new look gourmet traveller and to celebrate we are actually bringing loon croissants to Sydney for the first time ever. So these are these cult croissants the New York Times said are possibly the best in the world. For the first time, they're going to be available outside of Melbourne. We're going to be giving them out for free in Sydney if you have a copy of the new Gourmet Traveller as a way to celebrate our new look. So, sorry. And the question was about our podcast... No, no, the question was about your writing because you told me just before we... No, no, I was going to get to the new look soon. But before that, you're you're doing writing, you're writing. And I thought I got excited because a lot of editor-in-chiefs don't get to write, but you said it was a different sort of writing. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I misled you. I am writing, but I'm just writing some speeches. Obviously, we've got our restaurant awards on Wednesday night. So I'm working on what we're going to say to uh, launch that event and... And then Friday morning, we're having all of our most valued clients in one room um, to present the new Look Gourmet Traveller. And I'm also working on a speech to tell them the story of what we've changed and why we've changed it. So that is that is the writing. I can't. I wish I could tell you it was a luxurious 10-page spread in Uzbekistan, but that no, that's not what I'm doing. Do you get to do much of those 10-page spreads or even a one-page, or do you have to kind of be satisfied in the editor's letter that you get? Uh, yeah, no, no writing for me at this stage. We've been pretty busy, um, as you can imagine, with a cluster of events this week and uh, a redesign. We've just put to bed our Chinese issue, a vegetarian cookbook and our restaurant guide. So perhaps in the future some writing, but certainly not today. <laughs> Now, going back to a point that you made earlier, you've, um, you know, relaunched the magazine, redesigned it. Um, just, you know, comparing the pair in terms of what you had before and what what's coming up on shelf um, this month on Thursday, you've taken the traveller from the bottom of the gourmet tap and put it into the middle, lost Australian there. Um, obviously, that gives you a new real estate. Now, is that is this something, the redesign, is this something that you initiated when you came in to put the Sarah stamp on the magazine? Oh, I don't think it's a Sarah stamp, <laughs> but uh, 
Look, one, you know, there's a couple of significant changes that we've made to the magazine. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was to increase the prominence and visibility of travel within the magazine, um, particularly because so many of our clients come from the travel sphere. Um, it is a section that um, is at the back of the magazine and it's kind of all grouped there. And I wanted to see more integration between the food and the travel. And the change of the logo reflects that change that you'll see inside the magazine. So it was a nice way to package and showcase that change. Uh, and the change to the logo, as as you mentioned, just gives us some fantastic cover real estate in that right-hand corner where our brand name was kind of hanging a little awkwardly. We have had the logo like this in the past, so it's not a, a you know a brand new logo you haven't seen before. This lockup of the logo has existed, but this is a, 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 a new font. And was this a project that you um, initiated or was it something that was ongoing when you joined? Uh, no, I mean, I think that um, the team upstairs uh, on the management level were looking for a new editor who was going to come in and do a redesign and, you know, a reposition of the title. I think that was always the game plan. Um, I think, you know, whoever ended up in this chair would have been expected to, to do the same thing. Right. And in terms of the sections inside, I've heard that you'll see more of uh, politics as well. So what's that about? How do how does politics have anything to do with um, food, for example, you know, which is what you're known for? And exa- now that you mention also travel, which I can see the links between, but how would you tie in political content to your magazine? Oh, I think maybe that's been a little bit misinterpreted, but something I do, something I like to say is that, you know, food is political, whether we're talking about food waste, whether we're talking about immigration and how it affects the culture of our food, whether we're talking about 457 visas and the impact that they have on restaurants, you know, politics and food do intersect in places. And I think that there is a rich mine, you know, for stories there for us. One of my focuses is to invest in long form narrative um, food storytelling. So really great yarns about the Australian food scene and the people behind us. And I don't just mean profiles on chefs. I mean an incredible story about a dishwasher at Neil Perry's new restaurant. I don't have that story. <laughs> uh, but I want to I want to really broaden out um, how we tell stories and who we tell them about. Um, and, and, and some of those stories will be political because food is a political issue. So I think that perhaps a, a press release along the way has been misinterpreted and you might have been expecting to see Malcolm Turnbull uh, and or Barnaby Joyce in those first few pages. I can assure you that won't be happening, uh, but it is, you know, a, an area of uh, food storytelling that we'll, we'll be playing in. Look, Barnaby Joyce could feature on your pages he may now not that be politics. Who knows what will happen? He may not be a politician next week. We don't know. None of us know. He could bring in some kiwi dishes that he's done. It's true. That's true. Yes. Good one, Pavlova. Kiwi fruit. <laughs> and in terms of the sections and the different features, what can the reader expect from the redesigned edition of the mag? Look, the DNA. The core values of this magazine aren't going to change. You know, very, very protective in particular of um, our travel journalism. We're one of the few, we're one of the only magazines in Australia, one of the few titles in the world that still really invest in, you know, that long-form 10-page um, sort of uh, luxury 
travel journalism. You know, we send not just a journalist, we send a photographer. Um, we have people on the ground for extended periods of time. Uh, you know, that's not going to change. The pages, the number of pages and the time, the energy and the effort we invest in our food storytelling and our recipes and our recipe testing and our food styling, that's not going to change. Um, the, the tweaks are more around the, the, the tone and the style um, of which we do things. I mentioned that, you know, we're going to give pages to some long-form food storytelling. There's a section in the magazine that's really dedicated to upskilling um, in the kitchen. Our readers are really ambitious home cooks. They want challenging recipes. We give it to them. But I wanted to create a section where we give you the skills behind the recipe so that you're able to achieve them and achieve what you're seeing in the magazine. So whether it's um, filleting a fish or making your own ricotta, um, we're giving you some step-by-steps on how to do those particular things. Uh, design and architecture is a place we haven't sort of played in before, but it's incredibly important when we're talking about travel um, and new hotels and new restaurants opening. There's a real, you know, a, a greater focus than ever now, particularly in the age of social media, you know, how a place looks, who designed it, what story it's telling by its design. Um, so there will be design and architecture pages. I also want to really broaden out the Sydney and Melbourne focus of the magazine and ensure that people outside of those city centres are seeing their um, culinary culture reflected in the magazine. So there are pages dedicated um, to cities outside of Sydney and Melbourne and outside of, you know, Adelaide and Brisbane and, and Hobart and Perth as well. Um, uh, it is... You know, a series, I think, of um, tweaks to improve an already excellent product. And one more that I would just add to the mix as well. Uh, back in February, we did our first clean eating issue, and that's not a space that Gourmet had ever dipped its toe into before. We actually saw a 40% uplift in sales on that issue, which was very exciting. And I think really reflective that eating healthy foods is not just a fad for Australians. It's like it's a shift in the way that we eat and we cook and we shop for and we think about food. So there is also pages dedicated to um, healthy eating and cooking each month within the redesign. Mm. So that's it as a bit of a the short version of the new package that you'll be receiving. Right. And in terms of just looking at your cover lines, you have, um, you know, Annabelle Crabb, Steve Coogan, uh, Marco Pierre, white well-known names in the industry who are going to be contributing i guess um so in terms of that how important are those celebrity chefs in you know contributing to a title does that ensure some form of you know like the fans of those chefs might be picking up your title for sure uh, look, I'm really interested in introducing more popular culture into Gourmet Traveller, which is why, you've, you know, the Annabelle Crabb and the Steve Coogan is there. Celebrity chefs um, are not something that Gourmet Traveller or our readers, I feel, get particularly excited about. It's more about... Um, the skills of the chef than the actual profile, like who's doing the most exciting food, who has the most exciting restaurants, um, what's new. Those are the people we're looking to rather than necessarily the people that you constantly see on your TV screens. So that's probably somewhere where we would differentiate from other titles on the market. Um, 
And Marco Perry White, that's a fantastic story. He sits down with Pat Nurse, our chief restaurant critic. It's the 25 year anniversary of his cookbook, White Heat. And him and Pat sit down and he rereads it and reflects on what he thinks of the recipes and the photos and the style of the book 25 years on. <laughs> that sounds like an exciting one to read for. And um, in terms of the chefs or the content that you feature in how much is your focus on um do you have a balance as to you know this much has to be australian um in versus you know international or anything like that no i mean gourmet traveler has a really global focus and we're you know mostly looking out for you know we're a trend focused magazine we want to be first with things um of course the australian market is of the most interest to our readers but we will always cover food and food trends with a, and travel from a global perspective sure and you talked about covering the food scene outside of sydney and melbourne earlier and you uh, you know expanded to other cap cities what about regional australia you know really well known for its fresh produce and stuff any any increasing focus there that's actually exactly what I meant when I said uh, right. about widening the focus to regional Australia. So we've got an eating guide every month where we look at a particular area. So we're kicking off with the September issue with Albany and we'll be um, widening that out as we go. But we just want to really, when we think about planning the magazine, uh, think about contacting chefs that are outside of our cap cities and the kind of uh, well-worn areas for gourmet and trying to you know be more inclusive of... Uh, of um, you know chefs and restaurants and producers um, outside of those areas right and now let's go back to your uh, I think it's Australian Gourmet Travelers first podcast set menu can you tell me a little bit about that it's launching on Thursday initially going to come out as a fortnightly thing Um, what can the listeners expect and why launch a podcast now uh, because it's such an exciting time to do a podcast. I feel like doing a podcast is what like doing a website was a decade before. Like if you don't have a podcast, why not? Uh, and particularly in the food space, um, I think it's really fun and easy way to, ex- you know, to bring the brand to life and, ex- you know, uh, engage with your readers in a new way. Um, it's a it's a very, you know, I like to think it's pretty slickly produced and tight 20-minute podcast. Um, it's called Set Menu and it's sort of because we like to think it'll bring you a couple of different courses and flavours in each episode. Uh, we're kicking off the first one with a bit of a restaurant awards theme because it's going to go live on iTunes on the night of our awards. Um, we, we're going to focus on trying to pair some unusual people together to talk to each other. So the first episode will be, um, well-known award-winning chef Mark Best interviewing Pat Nurse, our restaurant critic, about his restaurant awards decisions and the guide. So it's the chef interviewing the critic and asking him the hard questions like what it's like to give somebody a bad review and, and what he thinks the effects of his good reviews have. Um, we go into, we go down to Melbourne and we stand in the line at Loon Croissants down there with all of the disciples who have been up since 7am, uh, just asking people, why are you here waiting? How long are you willing to wait? How good are these croissants really? Um, and thirdly, we have um, Daniel Alvarez, the chef at Fred's, interviewing her sommelier, um, Caitlin Reese. They're both nominees in our restaurant awards and we have them picking questions, pretty quirky questions out of a cocktail shaker and, and interviewing each other. 
So we like to think it's um, it's the kind of great content you'd expect from Gourmet, and it's not just in the standard podcast kind of format. We're thinking of kind of creative ways to try and engage with people and get them to listen and keep the the pace, you know, pretty fast. Yeah. Sure. And so the people who would be participating in the podcast isn't like set on stone, so it would be a critic versus a chef, for example. No, it's a, it's a set menu, so you will be served what we have decided you will be served, but the menu changes every fortnight. You never know. Fair. And in terms of um, your experience at Daily Life, I guess, that was a website, so, you know, you were entirely focused on driving the traffic numbers and, you know, making a return out of basically digital, which is, you know, something that there would have still been early days when you started it. Um, how has that experience helped when you've come across a gourmet traveller? Because I guess as a business, Bow Media is looking for returns from both, you know, the digital um, ventures that you guys go into and as well as print, because I guess that's still your mothership. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what 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 kind of take them to life? So much, it, you know. It's just such. Um, I just had such a phenomenally good time working there, and I learnt so much. The pace of the work is so intense, um, particularly on that site, because it was led by opinion pieces, needing to come up with five, you know, commission and edit and you know produce and publish, you know. I don't know, about 15 pieces of content a day, five which were significant op-eds on, you know, that were, you know, that related to the news cycle. Um, I could go all day on all of the, you know, small and big things that I learned from that experience. Um, but I, I think it certainly kind of helps you to adjust your thinking about story selection because you have a really deep understanding of what makes people click what makes people stay on an article, um, you know, and I hope that helps me to inform what will make people spend, you know, ten ninety five on a magazine. And you did mention that you were going to stay um, dedicated to the long narratives that you do in the magazine. Now, in terms of how you translate that to the digital space, I guess would you would you be willing to put up the content from the ten pages onto a digital platform, or is that not really, you know? No, uh, we absolutely can and we absolutely do. And I think that um, uh, there is absolutely a market for long-form stories uh, online and particularly with the, the style of audience and reader that Gourmet Traveller uh, attracts. Um, and if the writing is good enough and the pictures are engaging enough, then people will stay and engage. And, look, that's... Um, that's not something I'm saying from my gut. That's something that I know from experimenting um, while being an editor of, you know, uh, of a very successful website. And in terms of your video, how do you tie that in with what you have to offer on magazine as well as your content online? Um, yeah, video is, is critically important. And in the food space, it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it, it can be very creative. Um, there's a lot of different ways we can execute video and it really appeals to people. Um, so it's a really great space to play in when you're a food brand. Um, right at the beginning of this podcast, just going away from Gourmet Traveller a bit, you mentioned that you're part of the Hillary um, Clinton campaign. What was that experience like? Now, a person who's been in kind of in kind of the midst of all of it, it would have been... <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm taking a tangent uh, away from Gourmet. Uh, oh, look, it was, you know, it was electrifying. You know, DC is really the power centre of the whole world and you would 
you know, you'll be walking down the street on your way to volunteer and, you know, the presidential motorcade would go by and, um, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time. The campaign had a lot of momentum um, and it felt like, you know, we were helping to elect the first um, female president of the United States. And, uh, you know, and the crushing feeling when it didn't work out was equally as powerful. <laughs> And now coming back to Australia and Bauer, um, when you started off, Nick Chan was still the CEO and then there were, you know, a number of changes and stuff um, announced. And then I think whenever I read any article at the end of it, it would kind of leave you with the question, what is happening at Bauer? Now you've got a new CEO in Polk, uh, Paul Dykesuel. How's that been? Great. I mean, it's business as usual in Bauer. It's nothing unusual in publishing for these um changes to, to happen and, and happen unexpectedly and you know I'm really fortunate enough to have worked with Paul when I was at Pacific and at Girlfriend all those years ago and um, you know I've you know huge admiration respect for Paul as I think everyone that works with him does so uh, yeah it's all you know just business as usual. So when you met Paul again after he was um, appointed CEO of Bauer um, Australia New Zealand, what was it like? Um, what was the first meeting like? Because you've known each other before. So was it just like, hi, Paul, how are you? Uh, well, look, uh, Paul was already managing our New Zealand business. So yeah. I'd already seen him around the, the corridors. It's not like he wasn't uh, in Sydney for, for meetings and he wasn't like he wasn't already in my particular orbit. So it was just like lovely to see another familiar face of somebody, you know, I really admire. Sure. Um, Sarah, in terms of your career highlight, you've had a long career, uh, and distinguished career. At one point, you were the youngest recipient, um, for the editor in chief award in 2005, I guess. That's when you were at Clio. So what's a career highlight? Uh, oh, that's an interesting question. Oh, there's been lots of career highlights, but, um, look, I've, got, I've got to say, um, I've really enjoyed my time working at Fairfax. I thought, um, the culture there uh, was unlike anything I'd experienced in publishing before. It was really collaborative. Um, there was just like a lot of, you know, in the time when I was there, there was just a lot of senior, experienced people around who really had a lot of time to mentor people and who were really interested in what you were doing and who were really helpful. I just I learned a lot there. I made a lot of great friends there and, and launching um, a website, that was really of the moment and, you know, uh, you know, when it first launched, made a really bad, big impact and was really embraced by its audience. Um, that was, you know, I've had a lot of fantastic opportunities, too many to list. But, you know, in recent memories, that was a really good time. And then I guess coming back to print when everyone's, you know, kind of portraying the picture to be doom and gloom, is there much pressure on in terms of delivering the returns for a title? Because obviously as a business, you know, the execs would be looking at, you know, what titles are viable and which ones aren't. Uh, of course, there's a lot of pressure, but, you know, I'm really fortunate to be on a brand like Gourmet that just has so many elements it really is not one of those magazines that is just a print product it has an incredibly robust digital presence and in social in particular very very deep engagement it has 
it has cookbooks, it has events, it has a line of tours, uh, it has Chinese issues, it has restaurant guides, hotel guides, it has uh, a line of ceramics, it has uh, a line of jams and sauces and chutneys that's about to come out. I mean, it is just so much more than its print product. The print product is our absolute focus. Um, and certainly the element that I'm most excited about, but I'm the guardian of a really big and powerful brand that has a lot of elements. Um, so it's certainly, um, uh, it's still an optimistic time for us. And I, I'm not too sure how are you, how fluent are you in terms of Chinese? <laughs> That's a good question. Not at all. Um, we work with um, a team of translators who do all that. I'm not involved in the... Uh, once it, the words are turned into Chinese, I, my editing sort of has to pull right back. <laughs> so what was it like editing a title in a language that you don't understand? Uh, it's... Uh, has its own set of challenges, but we just put our faith in, in the translators and um, we've been doing it for a couple of years now and we've not had any complaints. So I will just have to assume that they are doing an excellent job. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it and all the best with the new issue. Thank you so much. That was another Media Week podcast. Check us out online at mediaweek.com.au. Also follow us on social, Facebook and Twitter at Media Week AUS.